over to Matthew 12, the first verse I want to consider tonight. Matthew was written primarily to the Jews to reveal and fulfill and prove the prophecies of the Messiah, that he was truly the Jewish Messiah. So its message was primarily aimed at Jewish people. I was listening to a fellow who talks a great deal about healing from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he uses the Bible a great deal, that's why I watch him. He tries to uh, explain it to the people that are out in the audience, large group of people, wherever he's at. Apparently it's his own congregation. He's a tongue-speaking Baptist, which is an unusual thing, but he does have a good concept of, of the scriptures as much as he understands. And he was talking about the church today as he understands the church. And he was saying that it uh, needs to unlearn some things because it has been so long under certain types of preaching and tradition and they believe that everything in Christianity is in the concept of that. And he was talking about the various healings in the scriptures and how that in the New Testament there were 19 individual healings to different people. And 12 of them were the laying on of hands and the others were spoken words. And he was trying to encourage people to believe and have faith in healing for their body. Well, his idea of the church, of course, was that he was included in it, and that his congregation was a part of it, and that they were going on that way. Jesus came in his human form to his own people, the Jews which would have been the church. <coughs> but there were a lot of things wrong with that old system, and Jesus came to correct them. There's a lot of things wrong in the world today, and only Christ can correct them in the individual heart. And let's start here in chapter 1. Before I go on with that, there was a... I was listening to a story about Africa, which is true. There seems to be a certain brother, I would say he would be, an African brother, they call him a bishop. They call him the Bishop of Uganda. Uh, he was had to run for his life when Idi Amin was running the country and terror was everywhere. He went off to exile somewhere and helped a lot of the, of the people over there in a Christian way, and they called him the Apostle of Love. And after he came back and began to try to repair what was done in his country, someone asked him, supposing that Idi Amin was sitting across the table from you and someone handed you a gun, what would you do? And he said, I would turn the gun over to Idi Amin and say, here, this is your weapon, it's not mine. 
For mine is the word of God. Now that's a pretty good answer, isn't it? I don't know how anybody could say anything back about that. This is your weapon, isn't it mine? When anybody else in the Uganda who would sit across the table from Idi Amin would be glad to blow his brains out, pull all six of them on him. Because he was such a butcherous, ruthless man. But Jesus came into that kind of a cruel and ruthless world. And he came to the people who should have known better. And it starts here, it says, At the time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. Well, I guess it was really rise, what it was. And his disciples were and hungered. That's a kind of a antiquated term. Not used anymore. They were hungry. And he began to pluck the ears of corn and, and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. The Jews held such sacredness to traditions and the Sabbath that in their wars they would not even fight on the Sabbath. And so the enemies really realizing that, wouldn't fight them, but any day but that. And they would overcome them all the time because they didn't even have enough sense to protect themselves because on the Sabbath, according to the law, they weren't supposed to do anything. So they didn't, and then their enemies came right in on them because they didn't resist. And Jesus was trying to correct some things here and mention what happened to David and, and uh, they had great admiration for the temple. A lot of people are like that today. They belong to a church on a corner with a building that looks like a church and, and they'll tell you after a while when you talk to them, I've got my church and you've got yours, just leave me alone. Or I belong to this church or, or I belong to that church and the other thing. They got the same spirit that the Pharisees had about the temple. There was, God alone was only greater than the temple. All of their attention, all of their worship, all of their hopes and anxiety were measured by the temple, and only God was greater to the Jews. That's how a lot of people feel today about their churches. They wouldn't leave their church because they've been in it all their lives, and, and uh, they wouldn't think about it, and why should you come to them, and I was talking to a fellow one day, and, and uh, he said uh, his minister, which was a congregationalist or something like that, a very zealous Baptist minister happened to be in the same place with his minister while he was in there, in, the, in his presence. And the Baptist minister, wanting to uh, uh, witness, uh, turned to the congregational preacher and said, Are you saved? And this fellow that was telling me about it, he says, boy, that guy had a lot of nerve asking another minister whether he was saved or not. But he didn't have any idea what, so he, he, he figured that his minister was saved, and what right did that Baptist preacher have to ask him? 
and he was offended at that. Well, I'll see some more of that fellow, and he may be offended at me, too, by and by. But this business of, and for, God, and for Jesus to say that in this place is one greater than the temple was tantamount to him saying that he was God. Because only God was greater to the, than the temple. I don't know if they caught this or not, but that's what he literally said. There is one in this place that's greater than the temple. But if he had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, he would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? that they might accuse him. Adam Clark said the man's hand was withered, but his feet wasn't, and he went to, the, went to meeting. He could have found all kinds of excuses, you know, he didn't want to be there and all the people see his withered hand and they might talk about him and, and all that sort of thing. He could have thought like that. But he had some kind of partial paralysis that left his hand withered, but it didn't stop his feet, so he was in the meeting. They wanted to see if they could accuse him. They're always looking for fault finders around, looking for something to find fault with a righteous man. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? If it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep. Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. Jesus even went along with their foolish idea about the Sabbath, and didn't even touch the man, but simply said, Stretch forth your hand. And Perhaps, as Adam Clark said, the man might have thought, well, how can I stretch forth my hand? Never have before. Why don't you heal me? Then I'll stretch it forth. You see? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In obedience to Jesus' command, he stretched forth his hand. Probably a reaction without even thinking. And he was healed. Jesus told him to do it, and he, and he did it. And it was whole, completely like the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. I don't know how it is with religious people who can become so wicked as to see a thing like this, a miracle like this, and instead of praising and blessing God, they do just the opposite. It shows you the hardness of people's heart who are religious. You talk to a lot of religious people and their hearts turn real hard on against you. And because you preach something contrary to what they've always been taught and what's in their own heart, they will get hard against you and against your Christ and against the Christian doctrine. And they went out to see how they could. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him, and he healed 
them all. Jesus does not stay among bitter, hard-hearted, ruthless people. He will withdraw himself from such an atmosphere and people because he does not want to continue in the strife that goes on. When God and truth are rejected, God and truth will move out and move on in individuals and in churches. God will not stay where people will not want, do not want him. As the picture, the painting states of Jesus standing at the door with no handle on the outside, he will not force himself into anybody's soul. But he will invite, knock on the door to seek admittance. And if people will not answer the door, they will do as uh, Brother Clark said, seek their portion in this life. And that's all they want. That's all they're ever going to get. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. I want one verse up. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall be a witness to the Gentiles. He shall be what the Gentiles look for in life. And that's you and I looking for life. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax, that's a wick, really, shall not be quenched till he send forth judgment unto victory. Jesus was very gentle, and he was sympathetic. He remained silent at times and did not cry throughout the streets, like a lot of uh, religious people do today. But when people didn't want him around, he silently went off into another place. And because those hard-hearted Jews didn't want him, then he went out away, and those people that wanted him followed to heal every one of them of their sicknesses and their diseases. We live in a country today that is becoming more and more godless and more and more perverted and more and more anti-Christ and more and more wicked to where people are afraid to even go out of their houses. They lock themselves in at night and we have a society that preys on one another like animals and the courts of law do little or nothing about it. And so people go around in fear, even in this city. This used to be a pretty nice place to live. I was talking with the assistant uh, sheriff one day uh, a couple of years ago, and he said there was a time in Racine County when there was one murder in 11 years. And he and I about the same age, so it was within, within our span after high school uh, up to now. And here we, we can hardly go by with, in one week without having one or two or three murders in this city, uh, alone, let, let alone the county. So you see, the world is becoming more and more wicked, just as Jesus said it would do. But in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? I thought some interesting comments by Adam Clark 
this is in the book, but see if I can remember them. He said, when the devil takes a person over, he blinds their eyes to the guilt and condemnation that is awaiting them. He takes their mouth, and instead of their praising God, if they're not dumb like this fellow was, he takes their mouth and makes them use blasphemies and injurious speaking and filthy communication and <coughs> profanity and, and all that goes along with that. He takes their mouth and speaks to them in that manner. And he takes their eyes and blinds them and possesses them and controls them in this particular case and in the case of many people. That's what the devil do, does with people in order to keep them forever. All a person has to do to be lost is nothing. That's all they have to do. Have their portion in this life. Every day I go around throughout the city and other places and I see just about everybody I see is having their portion in this life. They're doing nothing about their soul. They're caring nothing about it. They're just going around in their mundane pursuits of life in, in their existence. I can't even call it life. And they're not even aware of what's going on because the devil has blinded them to spirituality. And you and I are the only ones this side of heaven or hell that are going to awaken them whether they like us for it or not. It's up to you and I to awaken the people to spiritual reality. And the devil would like to keep them blind and keep them dumb. Another thing he said about being dumb is that so that they would not be able to offer up prayers and of repentance to God. And Jesus healed this poor man that, so that he could speak and so that he could see and cast out the devil at the same time. Marvelous miracle with the power of God. Uh, the preacher the other day said that Jesus, the Spirit of God was upon Jesus in many instances to heal everybody. And then on other occasions the Spirit of God was only to heal one or two, such as the, uh, 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 well, he healed the ten lepers and only one came back to thank him. But there was uh, occasions where he only healed uh, just a few people in the place, like where he was living, because of their unbelief. But when the Pharisees heard it, when the people were amazed and said, Is not this the Son of David? Is, it, is not this the Messiah? Is, that, is not this Jesus, the one we've been waiting for? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. They defamed his name. They attributed the casting out of devils to the prince of devils. <coughs> they spoke impiously and injuriously of Jesus, and that is the unpardonable sin. Instead of glorifying God for what had taken place in such a miserable person, they cast his name out and accused Jesus of this infamous thing. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself sh shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? 
Men, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? They practiced uh, exorcism, the Jews. That's where the Catholics got it from. The Jews practiced exorcism and tried, tried to cast out devils. And so Jesus took their own words and put it back on them to make them uh, understand that uh, who do they cast out devils by? Their children. Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. Do you see the, the uh, dividing line between Christianity and the world? <coughs> we are either going to be with God and with Him all the way, or we shall be against Him and do nothing. We can do nothing and be against Him. This, the preacher from Honduras said that we have something today that is affecting the churches uh, of this country, and he professed to be a Church of God preacher. He said, we have a do-nothing-ism. We have people that are saying they're saved and they're doing nothing. They're doing nothing for God. They do very little prayer. They do very little Bible study. They depend upon the preacher to give them all of the Word of God and do nothing, very little for themselves. They do nothing. Uh, uh, most of their activity is of self-interest. And most of their uh, concern is for us four and no more, the little family. And so they go about that way, professing this do-nothing-ism. When we get into the kingdom of God, there's work for us to do, every one of us. And the main work for us to do is to witness. Give a witness for Christ and tell what He has done for you and what He will do for them. And if we don't feel this burden upon our heart, there must be something wrong with us. Because we cannot be in the kingdom, a soldier for the Lord in His army, in this militant church that we talk about, and sit around and do nothing. We cannot be in it and be that way. It's impossible. We may be in the congregation, but we're not in the church, because everyone in the church has something to do. God has sent the members in the church, everyone, as it pleases Him. And everyone has a work to do. Everybody can witness. And if you can't even talk, you can still pray. And that's far more important than a whole lot of talk that goes on. And so He said, He that is not with me is against me. We are uh, People either loved Christ supremely or they hated Him. Did you see how it is right here in our one chapter? How the Jews hated him so fiercely. Uh, people today, they hear so much of Christ. They hear so much of being born again. They hear so much about uh, Christianity in this country that it's just merely taken for granted. And Christianity to most of the people around us is nothing but churchanity. They have no idea what the Bible requires of them and what will become of them if they do not meet the uh requirements in the Bible. They have no idea whatsoever. They just go on in their churches and that's exactly what the devil wants them to do. He says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. 
And whosoever shall speak it against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world nor in the world to come. And I disagree with Clark's comments on this. He just went off on something that is not as plain as what this says. If forgiveness is neither in this world nor the world to come, there is no forgiveness in either place. That's how I see it. He saw it a little differently. He was talking about the destruction of the body and not of the soul. I don't go for that at all. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Now, we don't have to do a lot of corrupt things to be lost. There are a lot of sweet, fine people. Wouldn't hurt anybody. That little Jewish lady that I talked to, she says, I, I don't want to get I don't want to get into arguments and controversy. I don't want to uh, I want to do everybody good. And I, and she is a kindly old little old lady, little old lady type, if we can put her in, in a type like that. And she's a sweet old woman. But when I talk to her about the gospel, She's not so much for hearing. And so I don't push push on her about it, but I know that she, when I start getting close to her about being saved and about Christ and all of that, she doesn't want to hear it anymore. Neither in this world nor the world to come. The tree good and, and the fruit is good. If the tree is good, the fruit is going to be good. If a person is saved, he's going to show forth fruits of salvation. And he's going to be a part of the church and part of the activity. Over in the first church, they tried uh, all kinds of methods to get people active in the place. People that only come once in a while, that weren't saved at all. We knew of one man, he was kind of a sour, silent guy. And uh, he would come every once in a while because his wife came. <coughs> You know, after we left there, they put that fellow in a position uh, of something or other within the church. He never professed to be saved, but he wanted to be there and wanted to be part of the group and work. And so when we left, because whenever they, they got up to try to say, oh, this ought to be done and that ought to be done and the other ought to be done, I'd get up and I'd say, nobody that's not saved should not have any part in the service. Mm -hmm. in, in, that, in that part of it. And they didn't like that. But when my wife and I left, they let all these people come in and do all of these various things. Teach Sunday school, be helpers, and, and do this, that, and the other thing, the choir, and all that sort of thing. They just let them come in there. And I guess the old floodgates opened up when we left the place. Because we always stood for that. And a couple others did too. And they're, they're, they're gone from there too. The tree is good, and the fruit is good. Or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. And so is a person known by their conduct, their conversation, their manner of life. You and I are known to others and to the church by what we do and what we say, where we go, and how we spend our money and these various other things that are real in our life. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, 
they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That's pretty, pretty heavy accountability, isn't it? Idle gossip, idle words, words that mean nothing, meaning that don't have any meaning. Now, all of those things we're going to give an account of in the day of judgment. People think they're getting by with a lot of things that they say and do down here. Well, they might be getting by down here, but in the day of judgment, nobody's going to get by. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. What more did they have to see than the miracles that he had performed in this chapter alone? Miracles that only God could have done. How could anybody have ever uh, caused a man's hand to be completely whole? How could anybody have been uh, released from blindness and dumbness and an evil spirit without the mighty power of God? What more sign did they want? But these were clever devils, and they kept it up. You know, they don't give up easy. The devil doesn't give up easy. We would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation. Whenever he talks about adulterous, he's talking about spiritual adultery and going away from God. In the Old Testament, God was, was, uh, uh, was a husband to them. And in the New Testament... Jesus is considered the bridegroom, or the bride, and the bridegroom, and we are the bride. And uh, in both dispensations, God is considered married to the church. And whenever they went into idolatry and went into evil, or a, a believer backslides, it is termed adultery. Adultery in that he went away from God. And there shall be no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah's whale might very well have been a monstrous shark because there are no whales in the Mediterranean. <laughs> but there are sharks. Huge sharks. There'll be no sign but the sign of Jesus going into the earth, being dead, and then rising back up again. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. I thought Clark's comments were so good about this. He says, the people of Nineveh had neither the law or the prophets. All they had was one little scared preacher who didn't even want to go in the first place. But his message got to the populace of that city of some 600,000 or better. And they repented from the top man to the bottom man. And because they did, God spared them, even though the prophet after that got kind of angry with God for sparing them because he maybe have looked like a fool. Because he told them that they were going to, to die. But look at these people. They had the law and the prophets. They had everything going for them. And they turned it away. We have in this country so much gospel, so much accountability and responsibility that everywhere you go now, and including television, which has come into being for years, where some part of the gospel is going for 
People can be saved. There are, there are Bibles in the hotel and motel rooms. There are people handing out tracts. There are people like us talking to people. There are sectarian people talking. All pretty much agree that Jesus is the Savior and people have to be born again. We have so much knowledge and because of that we have so much responsibility in this country. Individually, if we come to the Church of God meetings and collectively uh, where we can hear the gospel, uh, people can hear it all day long on television and listen to Billy Graham and all these other big evangelists and on the weekends or other times uh, they can flip the dial on their television and somehow or other some part of the gospel is coming out. And it's going out into all the world. Just like the Jews had every opportunity to be saved, they turned it away. People in this country have every opportunity to be saved, but they turned away. And he said, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. While, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return into the, my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation, this evil generation. People who get saved and go along like my wife was talking about tonight and do not further go on with God and then backslide, the devil then has more opportunity. They are more enlightened and they are more capable of more wickedness than they were before. If they continue in this deterioration of going back away from God, if that uh, house, if that person is empty, swept, and garnished, and he does not go on to perfection, that house remains, in a sense, empty. And the devil will come back with stronger spirits than more spirits than he had before and enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Why? Because he had opportunity to continue in, by, in and by the grace of God and fool around until he went back. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God. Not just hear it. The whole New Testament and the Old is the will of God. It is a revelation of God's will to the human race individually and collectively. You and I look into the mirror of the scriptures and it tells us where we stand before God. Yes. And when we hear the word of God and it goes forth one portion or another, it will find us out somewhere along the way 
And if we need to walk, move up and walk in that light, we better be doing it. Because we can fool around for a while and God will give us time and space, but not forever. There will come a time when the devil and his seven greater spirits will come back and, and seek for entrance. And if it's swept and garnished and the Holy Ghost is not there to resist him, for he that is greater is in you than he that is in the world, if he is not there to resist the devil and his, his desire to come back and take you over again, then he will have power eventually to do it. That's why it's so important to have complete salvation. That's why we must not only be saved from our sins, but we must be sanctified from our evil nature. This is the plan that God has designed to save us. This is His will. And Jesus said, Whosoever shall do the will of God, my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. That spiritual relationship we have with Christ. <coughs> we can almost reach the place that we can die and not even hardly know it. We can wake up someday and find ourselves on the outside and wonder what happened to us. Or we can wake up every day and thank and bless God for His grace and be determined to live with it and in it every day. You see, we just don't hardly stand still very long in either direction. When we hear the preaching of the gospel, and we get under conviction, we just can't keep being under conviction forever and ever. We have got to do something about it. We have either got to come to God and obey Him and do His will, or we've got to get out of the place and go on our way. We just can't stand still with God. There is no standing still with God anymore than there is for a little baby to, to remain a little baby while, they grow, while the years go by. We have to continue with God. He says, walk in the light. That means we've got to get going. Not just stand. Sometimes we have to stand for the truth, but we always got to walk in the light. May the Lord bless His Word from this chapter tonight. A lot of good things here for us to think about.